let's actually, uh, let's go to the book of Genesis. Chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And starting from, uh, we'll start from verse, chapter 11 actually. Genesis chapter 11 and verse 31. Genesis 11, verse 31. And we're continuing on the topic of, of character development. Genesis chapter 11, verse 31, it says, And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the family starts from Ur, and they're headed to where? Where is their final destination that they have in mind? Okay. It's Canaan, which is often called in the Bible, the promised land. Right? So on their way from Ur to Canaan, where do they stop by? Herod. Okay. So verse 32, it says, So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Herod. Now let's go to 12 verse 1. Now the Lord has said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. Okay. So when was God, when did God call Abraham? Did God call Abraham when he was in Ur, or when he was in Haran? Obviously it's not in Canaan. So which was it when he was called, in Ur or in Haran? Is there any other opinions? Why do you think Ur? Because it says that originally they were set out to go from Ur to Canaan. Okay. They got distracted, it seems like, and they ended up in Haran. Okay. Why did you say Haran? Okay. What does the Bible say? 12 verse 1, it says, Now the Lord has said to Abraham, right? And when was the now? 32. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in where? In Haran. And God appears to Abraham and says, Okay, this is my calling for you. I want you to leave this place and go to the promised land that I have for you. Now, let's keep your bookmarks in Genesis 12. And let's go to Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is preaching in the Sanhedrin. And he basically summarizes the history of Israel. Acts chapter 7. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. Acts chapter 7 and verse 2. Acts chapter 7 verse 2, it says, And Stephen said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in, where? Mesopotamia. Before he dwelt in Haran, and said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Haran was not in Mesopotamia, Ur was in Mesopotamia. So, according to Genesis, it says that God called Abraham when he was in Haran, but in Acts, Stephen says that God called Abraham before when he was in Haran. So who is right? Is Genesis right or is Stephen and Acts right? (coughs) 
Who thinks Genesis is right? Who thinks Acts is right? Why are they both right? Explain, if you can. God could have said it twice. So I think both are actually telling the truth. So God appeared to Abraham, and not just to Abraham. And the message was not just for Abraham. It was for the entire family of Abraham. Because it was not just Abraham that left. It was the entire family. So Terah and Abraham and Lot, the whole family is moving together. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11 and verse 31. And Terah took his son Abram. It doesn't say Abram took his father Terah. So the calling was for the entire family of, of Abram. And God gave the message to, to Terah apparently, to, to, to the entire family. And Terah took his son Abraham and, and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his, bro, his son Abram's wife. And they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. The, the destination that they had in mind was not Haran. The destination that they had in mind was Canaan. That was the promised land that they were supposed to go. But, it says, they came to Haran and dwelt there. And where did Terah die? Did Terah die in Canaan or did he die in Haran? The destination that God had in mind for Terah and Abraham was Canaan. But as, as God called Abraham and, and Terah out of Ur, they're, they're heading to, to Haran. And, and it's, it's probably a very difficult journey. And they get to Haran, and, and it's a nice place. And Terah says, hey, let's stay here for the night. And let's see where we'll go tomorrow. And the next day, he gets up. And he's a little bit tired, and he says to Abraham, Hey, let's stay here for a week. It's, it's pretty comfortable here. I'm a little bit tired, so it seems nice. Let's rest here. And Haran's a pretty nice place. A week passes by, and, and he's probably thinking, A month, a week is, we've, spent, we've, we've been here a week. Why don't we stay, spend a month here? And the time goes on, and Tara was not willing to move from Haran to go to Canaan. He says he dwelt there and he did not move forward. Now this pattern actually appears several times in the Bible. You have people in the Bible, if, you, if we were to take this as a symbolism of, of salvation, there are those who have been called in Christ and they have been saved. And they, they start on their journey of faith, and they, they start growing and growing and growing, and they start feeling comfortable where they are. And we're like, I think I'm good here. It's not that you've forgotten where your destination is, but then you're feeling comfortable, you're inherent, you know, it has a nice educational system, it's, you know, the weather's really nice, and, and you're, you have a pretty good business going on inherent, so you're feeling like, I'll stay here for a year, I'll send my kids to school, but, and when my kids graduate, I'll probably move on. So spiritually what's happening is you've been saved, you are growing, and then you hit a plateau, and you're like, this is where I'll be. Let's go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10.
10 verse 11. It says here, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So Paul is writing about certain things, and he says that these certain things happen for a reason. And these things are written for a reason. And he says that these things are written so that they serve as examples for people that are living in the last days, which would be you and myself. So what is the example that he's talking about? We'll start from verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So the Israelites, they left Egypt. They have been saved. And they're in the wilderness journey, and God is trying to, to grow there and develop their characters while they're in the wilderness. But as you know the story goes, 600,000 people came out of Egypt, but how many actually made it into the promised land? Among the adults that came out, there were only two. God's initial plan was for every person to enter into the promised land. But along the way, they have forgotten the reason that they've come out and, 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 the, and the continual complaint that you see the Israelites, the Israelites making is, we want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to where we've been from. Instead of looking forward to where they should be going, and instead of, of growing in the way that God wanted them to grow, they're, they're regressing because they have been they haven't been progressing in their faith. They haven't been growing in their faith. So we're going to look at the story of the Israelites. Let's go to the book of Exodus now. Exodus chapter 3. And... Uh, We'll read verse 18, but before you read that verse, let me ask you, what, what was the reason that God had the Israelites come out of Egypt? Why did God deliver the Israelites out of Egypt? What was the purpose? <coughs> I mean, there can be many purposes, actually, but, but what, what are some? What are some reasons that God brought the Israelites out of Egypt? Anyone? Worship. I'm sorry? Worship. Worship. What else? Any reasons? Any reasons? Will, why did God have the Israelites come out of Egypt? Um, I mean, they were slaves there, right? They were slaves? Okay. So they, they wanted freedom, basically. Yeah. What was the reason that God gave the Israelites? God gave Moses um, in 318. And, 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 and all of the reasons that you gave are, are correct. But here it says, that, verse 18, it says, Then they will heed your voice, the Israelites will heed your, Moses' voice, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt. 
And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now, please, let us go how many days journey into the wilderness? Three days journey into the wilderness that we may do what to the Lord our God? That we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. This is going to be important. God says to Moses to go to Pharaoh and, and tell him this. I want you to let the Israelites to go so that they may travel how many days? Three days into the where? Into the wilderness that they may do what? That they may make a sacrifice unto me. Right. Let's go to Exodus 5.3. Two chapters later, Exodus chapter 5 and verse 3. So so Moses and, and, um, and Aaron do go up to Pharaoh, and this is what they say. So they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go how many days journey? Three days journey into the where? Into the desert, and let us do what to the Lord our God? Sacrifice to the Lord our God. He doesn't say, let us go that we may have freedom, although that is probably one of, that, that is one of the reasons. But he says, let us go, so that we may go three days into the wilderness, and we're going to worship God there. Let's go to Exodus chapter 8, verse 27. Exodus 8 and verse 27. It says here, Again, Moses is speaking to Pharaoh. We will go how many days journey into? Three days journey into the where? 8.27. We will go how many days journey? Three days journey into the? Into the wilderness or the desert. And do what to the Lord our God? And sacrifice to the Lord our God. So again and again, God says to Moses, I want you to go tell, tell, tell Pharaoh. I want you to, to give him a message. Three days into the wilderness, and you're going to sacrifice there. You're going to sacrifice. So as you go, the story goes that there's a Passover. The Israelites, they put blood on their doorposts, and the angels pass over, and that very night, Pharaoh comes to Moses and says, Moses comes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says to him, now you can go. So let's go to Exodus chapter 13 now. I'm sorry, Exodus 12. And verse 37. Exodus chapter 12, verse 37. And you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with anything? Um, it's going to come together later on, so uh, please don't worry. Exodus chapter 12, verse 37. It says, Then the children of Israel, they journeyed from, from what city? Ramses. And they went to where? To Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. Okay. So the, the initial place that they leave is from Ramses to Sukkoth. However, the journey into the wilderness does not begin in Ramses. How do we know that? We go to the next chapter, Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13, verse 20. So they took their journey from Sukkoth, and they camped to... Where did they go to next? 
They went to Etham. And what does it say about Etham? It's at the edge of the wilderness. So they go from Ramses to Sukkoth to Etham, but up to Etham, they have not entered into the wilderness just yet. Etham is the border of the wilderness. Once they start passing Etham, now they are, are starting their journey into the wilderness. Now where is Etham right next to? Etham is right next to the wilderness, but it's also right next to the Red Sea. So we see in, in, um, in Exodus chapter 14 that the Israelites, they're right next to the Red Sea and they, they look behind and they see the, the, the Egyptians, they're, they're coming after them to kill them, to kill all of them. And they're, they're, they're complaining to God, God, how can you do this to us? After they've seen 10 plagues right in front of their eyes, they're complaining to, to Moses, they're, they're complaining to, to Moses, it would have been better if we had been in Egypt. Not knowing that God can perform a miracle for them again. So what does God do? God performs a miracle for them again. Now what was the response of the Israelites after God spread the Red Sea? They praised God. They had, a, they had an awesome worship service. There was, there was rejoicing. You know, people were, were singing. They were singing. They were playing the music. And just everyone was just having a wonderful time, and now they begin the journey into the wilderness. Exodus chapter 15. And verse 22. Exodus 15, verse 22. It says here, So Moses brought Israel... From the Red Sea, then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. So they begin their wilderness journey. And they went three days in the wilderness. Now what are they supposed to do now? They are now supposed to make a sacrifice to God. Because that's what God told the Israelites to do. Go three days into the wilderness, and I want you to make a sacrifice for me. That's what the Israelites did. Yes or no? No. It says, and they went three days into the wilderness, and they found no water. Now when they came to Merah, they could not drink the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Merah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. So the Israelites, they begin the three days into the, the, uh, to the wilderness, and on the third day, they're supposed to make an offering to God, and they find out that they have no water. They've been thirsty for three days. Their children have been thirsty, and their children have been hungry. The, the cattle, have, have, they're famished, and the Israelites are focused on the situation that they're caught up in right now. And instead of making a sacrifice to God, they go to Moses and they're complaining to Moses and to God. 
Now, making a sacrifice after three days is not something that you find only in Exodus. If you go to Genesis chapter 2, you don't actually have to go there. In Genesis chapter 22, God, God appears to Abraham. And he says, go to Mount what? Mount Moriah. How many days did he travel? He travels three days. And after the third day, what was Abraham going to do? He lifts up his hand and he was going to do what? Sacrifice his son. Let's go to Esther. Um, actually, let's go to Job first. I'm sorry, Jonah. My brain's not functioning very well today. Jonah chapter 1 and verse... Jonah chapter 1 and verse 17. It says here, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish. How many days? Three days and three nights. Imagine yourself being in the belly of a fish. How comfortable and convenient would it be? That would be so awesome. That would be so nice. I mean, I'm a vegetarian, and I hate the smell of fish much more than I hate the smell of meat. It smells gross to me. Imagine being in the belly of a fish for three days. Now, did God appear to, to Jonah and tell him, after three days, you're going to get out of here? He's, he's, he's had no light. He's had very little air. It's been stinking, and he's stuck in there three days. And at the end of three days... What does Jonah say to God? Verse 9 of chapter 2. Verse, we'll start from verse 8. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Verse 9. But I will sacrifice to you with the joy of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So God had never appeared to Jonah and said, okay, now it's the end of three days. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you out of the, the fish. He doesn't say that. But Jonah, having been in the belly of the fish three days, he says, I want to sacrifice to you, God. I want to give you thanks, God. Not because God told him that he would be delivered from that situation. What about Abraham? Did God appear to Abraham at, during the three days and tell him, you know what, I actually don't want you to really sacrifice. This is just props. This is, this is just make-believe sacrifice. No. Abraham actually was willing to sacrifice his son. It was a very painful three days. And at the end of three days, he was willing to make that sacrifice. What about the story of Esther? There was a threat of death. Haman was willing to kill the Israelites, and, and Esther says to the Israelites, let's fast. How many days? Three days. And at the end of three days, if I perish, I perish. In other words, I'm willing to sacrifice myself. I'm willing to go up to the king, and if the king is willing to kill me, let it be so. God never appeared to Esther and said, if you fast for three days, guess what? I'm going to listen to your prayers and you're not going to be killed. He doesn't say that. 
There's no certainty of what's happening. It's a very painful and a very difficult three days. But at the end of three days, Jonah, Abraham, and Esther were willing to make a sacrifice. Now the Israelites are in the very same situation. They've been in the wilderness for three days under the scorching heat of the sun. And they've had no water for three days. Very painful. And God tells them, I want you to make a sacrifice for me. Instead, they complain. And what was the result? God gave them water. Wait. Why does God give them water when they complain? Let's go to Psalm chapter 106. Psalm number 106. Psalm number 106 and verse 9. Psalm 106 and verse 9. Here it says, He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it dried up. So this is talking about the Israelites coming out of Egypt. The Red Sea dried up, so he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. Now, verse 13. They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And verse 15. And God gave them their request. But sent Leanness into their hearts. This is verse 15. God gave them their request when they complained, but sent leanness into their soul. Now, at the end of three days, whether they sacrificed or whether they complained, God was going to give them water anyway. That was God's plan. But had they sacrificed to God instead of complaining to God, had they given thanks to God instead of, of lifting up their fists to God, what it would have done, it would have, been, it would have given fatness into their hearts instead of leanness. In other words, it would have developed their characters. When Abraham went through that three days of difficulty and trial and the greatest agony of his life, and yet without any indication that God would save his son, he was willing to sacrifice his son. What did that do to his soul? It, it fattened his whole soul. In other words, it developed his character. God had given the Israelites an opportunity to develop their characters. And the opportunity did not come right after the Israelites crossed over the Red Sea. Everyone was worshiping. Everyone was praising God. Everyone was having a wonderful time. But that's not when we grow in Christ. We don't grow in Jesus when we listen to sermons. 
We don't grow in Jesus when we go to camp meeting and, and everyone's just having a wonderful time. We grow when there's no indication around us that things are going to be okay, but still we are willing to give thanks to God. God was going to use that opportunity to develop their character, but they said, no, God, we're just going to complain. We, we're not going to sacrifice to you, although you told us that in three days you want, to sac you want us to sacrifice. But why three days, though? Why three days? Um, people who fast for a long time tell us that, that the third day of fasting is actually the hardest. And in Korean, there's a, there's a phrase called chakshim uh, samyeon. What it means is you make a decision... And the, the, your, your will lasts for three days. You, you know, your, whatever New Year's resolution, or resolution you make, by the third day, you're done. So God is using this trial, and through trial, God develops our character, but the trial itself doesn't develop our character. What actually develops our character is our response to the trials. Because through that trial, the Israelites were, they did not grow spiritually, their spirit, their spiritually actually went down. It says God gave leanness into their heart. In other words, their spirituality took a hit. Because of that trial. Because of their response to their trial. So so this weekend, we're talking about character. But what is character? Can we put up the slides, please? And uh, we'll actually skip those two, first two slides, and we'll go to the third slide. Let's talk about what character actually isn't. Okay. Testimonies for the church... Uh, Volume 4, page 606 says, The mental and moral powers which God has given us do not constitute character. They are talents which we are to improve and which, if properly improved, will form a right character. In other words, the natural strengths that you have as a person, that's not character that we're talking about. When Adam and Eve were created, they were not born with a godlike character. They were born with a godlike traits and talents. But those, those traits that they had, as they go, to go through trial, and when the devil was tempting them, if they had responded properly, what it would have done, it, it would have grown their character, and they would have a Christ-like character as a response to the trial that they were experiencing. Next page, please. A man may have a precious seed in his hand, but the seed is not an orchard. In other words, the God-given traits are just God-given traits. They're not character. The seed must be planted before it can become a tree. The mind is the garden. The character is the fruit. God has given us our faculties to cultivate and develop. Our own course determines 
our character. So what is character then? If our natural traits are not our characters, then what is character? Next slide, please. Message to young people in page 92. If the thoughts are wrong, the feelings will be wrong. And the thoughts and feelings combined make up the moral character. So moral character is, it consists of two things. First of all, it's the thought that you put into your mind and the feelings that you have as you react to certain things. That's what character consists of. Now that we know what character is, what is more important is what is a good character and what is a not so good character. So next slide, please. And uh, we'll wrap up here and then move into our next section um, afterwards. Child God is page 161. It says, strength of character consists of two things. The first is the power of will. The second is power of self-control. So whether you have good character, Christ-like character, or unchristlike character is determined by whether you have, first of all, the power of will or the power of self-control. Now, what is will? Will, the power of will, is, is active. It's about doing what is right. It's about doing what is good. The power of self-control is passive. It's about not doing what is bad. It's about staying away from evil. So let's go to, to Romans chapter 7, and we'll actually wrap up there and uh, get into our next session and, and dig deeper into this. Romans chapter 7. And verse, starting from verse uh, 16. We'll start from verse 15, actually. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Paul says here, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, or what I want to do, that I do not actually do. But what I hate, I actually do. If then, I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So most of you have probably gone through this experience. And this is what our Christian experience looks like. We know what is right. We know what the right thing is to do, and I want to do it, but you find yourself not actually doing that. You know what is wrong, and you want to stay away from that, but you find yourself actually doing what is actually wrong. Now, character is the power to do what is right and to stay away from what is evil. And that is a power that is developed. Character is muscle. Character is muscle. It's not something that you have overnight. It's something that you develop over a lifetime by the choices that you make. On the third day in the wilderness, the Israelites had a choice to make. And had they decided to sacrifice to God and give thanksgiving to, to God their characters would have been 
more Christ-like in the sense that they would have had a greater, a stronger will muscle that is the strength to do what is right. Had they controlled their self and stayed away from complaining, they would have had a stronger self-control muscle that the next time that they face trials, it's not... It's not more difficult, it's actually easier for the fact that you have stronger character muscles. Does that make sense? It's like a workout. If you're, if you're working out your muscles, what you do is you're wanting to lift heavier things in order to grow your muscles. It's the same thing with character development. When we face trials, when we face temptations... When we use the right muscles, when we desire, when we decide to do good by faith, or when we decide to stay away from evil by faith, what it does is it develops character. And we're going to get deeper into that, and we'll start in 10 minutes' time.